Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1882, Pat Garrett paced anxiously outside of a general store somewhere near Lincoln County, New Mexico. A man lay below him, writhing in pain. Blood poured from his scalp. A crowd gathered around the injured man. They thought perhaps he was one of the famous sheriff's criminal conquests, but they were wrong. His only crime was disrespect. Garrett believed him to be the man who had published a number of letters criticizing Garrett's intelligence and ability as a lawman. These letters called his reputation into question, but Garrett had just killed the famed outlaw Billy the Kid, and he thought he was beloved far and wide. Garrett didn't want to accept the fact that he had critics, so he attacked them. It seemed like there was no accomplishment fulfilling enough to deflect the pain that he felt in the face of judgment. As time rolled on, these outbursts would become regular. Garrett's sensitivity to criticism would worsen. This Achilles heel would cause Garrett to lay in a pool of his own blood, much like the man he beat outside that general store in 1882. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on Pat Garrett the Wild West Sheriff, who is mostly remembered for assassinating Billy the Kid. But the lawman's colorful life came to an abrupt halt when he was found dead on the side of the road in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It was no surprise that a man with as many enemies as Garrett ended up murdered. But the truth behind his death is far more complex than anyone could have imagined. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. In the early morning hours of July 14, 1881, 31-year-old Pat Garrett shot and killed Billy the Kid, one of the most notorious outlaws in the Old West. And within days, 
News of the kid's death was on the front page of every newspaper in the country. Many articles highlighted Garrett's prowess as a fearless lawman. Pat Garrett is not just a sheriff. He is the terror of all evildoers, from the White Sands to the Alamo. With a shot of his trusty six-shooter, Garrett pierces a hole through the heart that brought havoc to New Mexico. This bravery and cunning is what transforms a lawman into a hero. Pat Garrett had spent the first 30 years of his life floating from job to job and state to state, enduring hardship after hardship, all in pursuit of greatness. He wanted the world to treat him with respect and his name to sparkle with prestige. And now he'd achieved all of those things. It was beyond vindicating, but he wanted more. A few months after Billy's death, Garrett decided it was time to immortalize his story. He wanted to write a memoir. Because Garrett was one of the most well-known people in the Wild West, he got a publishing deal right off the bat. By March 1882, the 137-page book was on the shelves. Garrett thought it was a masterpiece, but others weren't so sure. Problems plagued the memoir from its very first page. It had a ridiculously long title, The Authentic Life of Billy the Kid, the noted desperado of the Southwest, whose deeds of daring and blood made his name a terror in New Mexico, Arizona, and Northern Mexico. It hardly sold any copies. However, the book would later go down in history as culturally important and help shape the popular narrative around Billy the Kid's death. And even though his book didn't sell, Pat Garrett's ambitions continued to balloon. In 1882, still in the shadow of his lackluster book release, he decided to run for political office. He wanted a seat on the Territorial Council, which acted as a sort of state government in New Mexico. He was encouraged by a number of prominent politicians in the area, and the people of Lincoln County stood behind him. However, some people took issue with Pat Garrett making such a large jump in status. A number of letters appeared in newspapers from an anonymous citizen. They were impassioned diatribes that outlined all the reasons Garrett was not suited to take a seat on the Territorial Council. The very thought of a brutish dullard such as Pat Garrett entering the world of politics makes me sick to my stomach. He is an egotistical maniac, and it's clear that he's only using this foray into government to further his social status. I've heard that the man can't even read or write. He will be little more than a nuisance in the territorial council. Clearly, these letters were slander, and not many took them seriously. But that didn't matter much to Garrett. He was able to find the identity of the man responsible for writing the pieces and ambushed him outside a general store. Ah, uh, look who it is. You recognize me? Uh, yeah. What, not happy to see me? Your letters made me think you'd be over the moon. I, um, I don't know what you're talking about. You calling me a liar? No. I just don't know what you're talking about. You wrote those letters. Just admit it. Be a man. And what if I did, huh? Please. You reek of booze and look like you haven't bathed in weeks. Why don't you just hit... 
With that, Garrett pulled out his pistol and slammed the blunt end into the man's skull. He fell to the ground, clutching at the open wound on his head. Though the injury wasn't fatal, Garrett stood there for a moment, stunned by his own brutality. Then he addressed the crowd of onlookers. This is what happens. This is what happens when you don't put some respect on my name, you hear me? You end up like this jump, or even worse, like the kid. I'll do it to any one of you. Just try me. And while Pat Garrett could withstand harsh conditions, gunfights, and outlaws, he struggled with criticism. Unfortunately, there was plenty more judgment ahead of him. After the incident outside the general store, 32-year-old Garrett retreated from the spotlight. In the spring of 1884, he purchased a farm just outside of Lincoln County. But this retreat from public life only made things worse. Garrett spent the next 10 years in relative isolation, spending most of his time gambling and breeding horses. His debts mounted and his quality of life slipped away. By 1894, he was a shell of the fearless man who put Billy the Kid in his grave 13 years earlier. But he wanted to step back into the spotlight. Somewhere deep down, the intrepid spirit and fearlessness that led to Billy's capture was still alive and well. He just needed another chance to play the hero. And lucky for Garrett, that is exactly what he was about to get. Coming up, Pat Garrett gets back into law enforcement and attempts to relive his glory days. Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history, following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases, like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town, or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions, and the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. On February 1st, 1896, Pat Garrett was contacted by the governor of New Mexico, William T. Thornton. Pat, please. Take a seat. You're familiar with Albert Fountain, I presume? The snobby lawyer who defended Billy in court back in 81? Yeah, you could say I'm familiar. I had a feeling. Well, he's missing, presumed dead. His son as well. The man had enemies, that's for sure. How do you reckon it was a murder? A mailman came across his carriage over by Chalk Hill. There were puddles of blood all over the place. Clearly, it was murder. We just don't know who did it. And you like me to hunt them down? The way I see it, if you could find Billy the Kid, you can find these men, can't you? Although Garrett played it cool, this offer sent him over the moon. 
Albert Fountain was almost as well-known in the Southwest as Billy the Kid, but for much different reasons. Fountain was a well-regarded lawyer and politician in the area, and even though he defended the kid in court once, he was widely seen as a force for good. He'd been a district attorney in Las Cruces and the Speaker of the House in the Territorial Council. Now, Fountain had disappeared along with his son. It looked like they'd been murdered by outlaws, and no one knew who did it. But Pat Garrett had a knack for finding mysterious ne'er-do-wells, and even after 15 years, it seemed like the governor remembered that. Pat Garrett was appointed special deputy on the case. Right when he had lost all hope, he was given another shot at greatness. He gave himself a clean shave, the first he'd had in months, and hopped on his horse. In just four days, he had gone from a destitute gambler to a high-level lawman, and he needed to get to work immediately. First, the former sheriff visited the crime scene. Fountain's wagon was overturned and riddled with bullets. There were legal papers strewn all over. Blood smears in the dirt made it seem like bodies were dragged from the carriage and off into the surrounding woods, but the bodies were nowhere to be found. About 10 miles away, there were a few other clues. Three brass bullet casings, a pool of blood, and a set of distinct boot prints. As he worked through the physical evidence, Garrett also puzzled over who might want to kill Albert Fountain. Then he remembered. Fountain had a political rival, a man named Albert Bacon Fall. He was a judge in the district court and a figurehead of the New Mexico Democratic Party. And Fall was known for fraternizing with criminals. Many of the men he employed were known felons, cattle thieves, and murderers. As it turned out, Albert Fountain had been looking into a few of Fall's acquaintances right before he died. Most notably, he brought criminal charges against a rancher named Oliver Lee. Strangely enough, the paperwork for this indictment vanished from the crime scene. From Garrett's point of view, it looked like Fall wanted to get Fountain out of the way. The politician probably paid off one of his seedy associates to kill Fountain. But Garrett had no idea who this criminal could be. That was until he took a closer look at the boot prints found at the scene of Fountain's disappearance. After a period of deliberation, they were able to match the unique prints to a pair of boots owned by Oliver Lee. It was a massive break in the case and brought Garrett back into the limelight. He decided to run for sheriff again and won easily. But as soon as Pat Garrett became a full-time lawman in Doña Ana County, he ground the investigation to a standstill. Albert Bacon Fall was a formidable presence in local politics, and Garrett didn't want to get on his bad side. His gambling issues also escalated, and he spent more time at the saloon than the sheriff's office. Even though Garrett was fairly certain that Fall and Lee were involved in Albert Fountain's murder, he failed to do anything about it for two whole years. But in March of 1898, Garrett's vices finally paid off. He found himself face-to-face with his prime suspects at the poker table. One day, the sheriff stopped at a saloon for a quick drink. 
He was shocked to see Oliver Lee, Albert Fall, and two others sitting nearby. They invited Garrett over to play a hand, and then another, and another. According to a witness, the game lasted three days with only a few breaks. The men didn't talk about the fountain case at all, even though it must have been at the forefront of their minds. Finally, when the marathon game ended, an exhausted Garrett asked Oliver Lee if he would have a word with him outside. So how about we cut the act, yeah? You do know I fully intend on putting you in a jail cell, or in the ground. I know what you did to Fountain and his little boy, too. What kind of man kills a kid? I have no reason to resist the law, Garrett. None at all. The last time I checked, there have been no warrants issued, no indictments, certainly no evidence to support a word you've just said. So, what's your move, lawman? <sighs> This display of disrespect was enough to put Pat Garrett over the edge. He was going to put Oliver Lee and his men behind bars if it was the last thing he did. A few days after this altercation, Garrett marched down to the courthouse and demanded warrants for the arrest of Oliver Lee and his men. And he must have put on quite the show, because by the time he left the judge's office, he had the warrants in his hand. It's unclear why the government was able to fulfill his request so quickly when they'd been slow to move on the case before. But regardless, Garrett felt as though he was back where he belonged, on the path to greatness. And while pursuing these men was the noble choice, if he'd just let it go, he may have prevented his own death. Coming up, Pat Garrett's ambition comes back to haunt him. And now, back to the story. On July 8, 1898, 48-year-old Pat Garrett was once again on the hunt for a band of fugitives. He'd been in a similar position 17 years before, when he was searching for Billy the Kid and his posse. This time around, it was Oliver Lee, the man believed to have killed the well-known lawyer Albert Fountain and his eight-year-old son. After 38 miles on horseback, Garrett and his men finally arrived at what they believed to be Lee's hideout. When they arrived at the house, Garrett felt invigorated, youthful even. He walked right up to the door, kicked it open, and walked inside with his rifle cocked. He looked around the cabin and saw a man sleeping on the ground. The man woke up with a start, but he looked nothing like Oliver Lee. The sheriff demanded to know where Lee was, and the man claimed to have no idea. Garrett wasn't buying it. They continued to squabble, and just as the tension was at a fever pitch, Garrett caught the man's eyes wandering toward the window. He followed his gaze and saw a ladder propped up against the side of the cabin. He ordered his men out of the cabin and up the ladder. Sure enough, Oliver Lee and his posse were up there, trying to pack their things and escape. They'd spent all night hiding on the roof, knowing that Garrett couldn't be far behind. But now there was no turning back. A firefight broke out almost instantly. One of Garrett's men got hit in the thigh and shoulder. He ran for cover and fired a few shots wildly in Lee's general direction. 
Bits of wooden metal flew all around as the bullets tore through the parapets on the rooftop. The debris hit Garrett in the face, which finally caused him to stop shooting. He took this moment to try and level with the men. There are two ways this can go. Either I kill you or you kill me. If you kill me, you'll be on the run for the rest of your life. You understand? You'll never know peace again. I know your tricks. Everyone knows that the famous Pat Garrett likes to play dirty. If I surrender and lay down my colt, you'll shoot me right through the heart just like you did the kid. If I had more bullets in this rifle, you wouldn't be talking so tough right now. That's what I thought. I'll level with you, Garrett. If you shot me right here, right now, you would be dead yourself in a matter of seconds. Look around. You might have more men, but my men are better shots. You know it. So what do you suggest, huh? We part ways. We pick this back up right where we left off some other time. Are you crazy? I'm not going down without a fight. I'll tell you that right now. If we keep this going, neither of us will win. You want to fight fair? This is how you do it. Garrett knew he was right. If they continued, it would be a bloodbath on both sides. It took every ounce of strength he had, but he called his men off the roof. Lee took off in one direction and Garrett in the other. To say he was devastated would be an understatement. This was the closest he would ever get to another Billy the Kid moment. Now, it was gone. By the time Pat Garrett returned to Doña Anna County, he was fully worn down. He was up for re-election in 1900, but decided not to run. He'd recently turned 50 and just wanted a break. He tried to retreat from the public eye again, but it didn't last long. In 1901, President Theodore Roosevelt appointed Garrett as a federal customs collector. But within months of Garrett accepting the job, complaints about his behavior started rolling in. Eventually, he was fired. Garrett came to his ranch in New Mexico a broken man, and things kept getting worse. Despite receiving a presidential salary, Garrett's debts had continued to climb. He couldn't hold on to money if his life depended on it. Every time he got paid, he headed straight to the casino. It wouldn't be long until he was back at zero and waiting for the next paycheck. The banks, the state, and the people in his life were tired of waiting to be reimbursed. In March of 1906, the Doña Ana Sheriff Department seized all of his belongings. He retained control over a small portion of his land, but only because of a legal loophole. As winter blew through the Southwest, Garrett grew more bitter than ever before. His temper had never been worse. He'd always been imposing, but this was different. It seemed like he could fly off the handle at any moment. A man named Wayne Brazel became the primary focus of his frustrations. Brazel leased a ranch on Garrett's land. And with so little to his name, the former sheriff was very particular about how this farmland could be used. Brazel had originally promised Garrett that he'd put 400 head of cattle on the land. As a former cattleman, Garrett was happy with this. But then, for whatever reason, Brazel went against Garrett's wishes. He chose to move a herd of 1,200 goats onto the property. 
Pat Garrett hated many things. He hated those who doubted him, those who talked down to him, those who cheated at the poker table, and the list goes on. But perhaps at the top of that list, more than any human being, was a common farm animal, the goat. Believing the goats would use up the land's resources and make it unlivable for other livestock, Garrett grew furious. But Brazel wasn't intimidated. He matched Garrett's intensity at every turn. In 1908, the two ended up in court. The case was dismissed, but the feud was far from over. The two managed to stay out of each other's way for a few months, but all the while Garrett was spiraling downward. He drank and gambled endlessly, wagering money that he didn't have. But then something miraculous happened. A mysterious group of men from El Paso reached out to Garrett and offered to purchase the farm. The former sheriff was thrilled. This could solve all of his problems. He could get a windfall of cash and get rid of Wayne Brazel and his pesky goats. Garrett didn't take the time to recognize how strange and abrupt the offer was. It was completely out of the blue and seemed a little too convenient to be real. But he was desperate, and he jumped at the opportunity. Later that evening, Brazel told Garrett that the men from El Paso were willing to meet them in Las Cruces the next day. He said that one of the buyers could drive them there. Garrett woke up early the next morning on February 29, 1908. Around 8.30, a man named Carl Adamson pulled up in a two-horse buggy and invited Garrett inside. They started driving toward Las Cruces, with Brazel following on horseback. It's unclear what happened next. What is certain is this. A few hours after Garrett left his homestead, Wayne Brazel burst through the doors of the Las Cruces Sheriff's Office. He demanded to be arrested. Lock me up. I I killed him. I killed Pat Garrett. You what? You know, that old sheriff from Lincoln County shot him right through the head. He was a bitter geezer and had it coming. You know, if it wasn't me, it would have been someone else. What on earth did he do to you? What happened? We were supposed to make a deal, sell a ranch that I leased from him, and on the way up, well, he wouldn't stop running his mouth. It drove me halfway insane. I couldn't take it. Sheriff, I just couldn't take it. He pulled over to take a leak, and he had his back turned to me. Before I knew it, I had my pistol drawn. There are numerous accounts of what exactly led to the murder of Pat Garrett. Brazel said that he killed him out of sheer annoyance. But when the buggy driver, Carl Adamson, was interviewed, he claimed that Brazel shot in self-defense. But investigators later found that Garrett was shot in the back of the head and wasn't holding a weapon when he was killed. Regardless, Brazel was arrested and tried a year later in 1909. But despite his clear confession, he was found not guilty. This odd verdict may have had something to do with Wayne Brazel's lawyer. He was defended by none other than Albert Bacon Fall. And that's where the second, more complex theory about Garrett's death comes into play. Fall is the same man who is believed to have orchestrated Albert Fountain's death in 1896. And although he and his men faced no jail time or consequences for their alleged crimes... 
he saw Garrett as a massive liability. The bodies of Albert Fountain and his son had never been found. Perhaps if Garrett had found his way back into the sheriff's office, as he often did, that case could still be closed. Multiple sources interviewed by a New Mexico police captain claim that Albert Fall, Oliver Lee, and a group of other men met at a hotel in El Paso. There, they planned how to take out Garrett. Fall had known Wayne Brazel for a long time because the rancher often took care of his horses. When Brazel moved on to tending Garrett's land, he may have delivered updates to Fall. When Fall or a member of his posse heard that Garrett was strapped for cash, he may have cooked up a plot to fake the farm purchase. This would be the perfect bait to drag him out to an isolated area. Historian W.C. Jameson postulated that a hired gun appeared on the side of the road somewhere along their journey and took care of Garrett. Then Brazel took the fall for it. A district attorney even found telegrams sent between Brazel, Carl Adamson, and a well-known hitman known as Killin' Jim Miller, but they weren't shown in Brazel's trial, perhaps due to Fall's influence. And even in spite of how many questions remained and how perplexing the story of Pat Garrett's death was, it was quickly forgotten. While newspapers published countless articles detailing how the former lawman had fearlessly defeated Billy the Kid, news of his death hardly made it into the local publications. At this point, many researchers seem to agree that Pat Garrett's death was retribution for his investigation into the death of Albert Fountain. It seems possible that Albert Bacon Fall was pulling the strings, but it's impossible to prove definitively. Pat Garrett played many roles in his life. He toggled between noble and villainous, respected and despised. He seems impossible to categorize. But if Garrett was killed at the hands of a political conspiracy, he ended up dying the way he'd always tried to live, as a hero. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Pat Garrett, amongst the many sources we used, we found To Hell on a Fast Horse by Mark Lee Gardner to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Spencer Fox, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, and Ellie Schiff. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 
Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.